0: dear lord we we do thank you god that no matter what happens great are you god and and we want to keep you the center lord of our hearts as zach prayed and i just want to go along with the prayer and continue on also to to lift up god the families of those who lost their children and those who are just going through so much right now i pray that you bring comfort and i pray god that you bring healing and just help them find hope in you jesus and And if they don't know you, I pray that perhaps some way, somehow, that they would be saved through this, God, and through such a tragic time. But we thank you that uh, you know all things, and you're always there for us. And whenever we call out for help, God, you come. You come, Lord, and you're there with us. And so we call out for help even tonight, God, as we open your word. And we ask for your blessing upon it, and that you would use it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you can um, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, as we like slowly make our way through this chapter, uh, I'm, it has been a, a journey here and in, in going through this time and uh, through this book, but it's been a great journey and this journey though, uh, we're getting to the end, but we're still in chapter 22, we have 24 chapters in the book of Luke, but Tonight, we're going to take another section. Um, Luke actually, you know, out of all the Gospels, he writes like long chapters. So even though it looks like we only have a few chapters left, we actually have a lot of verses left, if you could look at it that way. But tonight, we're going to be studying Luke chapter 22 from verse 21 through 30. You know, I I saw on this um, TV show recently this mouse get trapped in a trap and it kind of grossed me out because I was thinking about it was was kind of movie set in old times and it was a trap with that loaded bar and you know how the bar uh, goes snap right (laughs) and it catches the mouse you know uh, on its neck and kills it but I don't know why I was just thinking about oh, that that kind of grossed me out and you know but the thing is no one likes the mouse in the house right it doesn't belong there uh, but I was actually reading today, it was kind of interesting, there's some more humane ways, they say, of getting rid of the pests. And not only I found some traps that where you can actually catch them, catch and release them, you don't really kill them, but I was thinking, well, where do you release them? Aren't they going to come back, you know, kind of thing. But I read about, well, they claim that this is a more humane way, but there's these actually, there's these um, electronic traps now electronic uh this company makes the victor it's called the victor smart kill get this wi-fi electronic mouse trap and they claim it's more humanely uh it's more humane because it kills the mouse instantly with a high voltage shock from four aa double batteries so and so basically it's this you know plastic box with the batteries and another uh Chamber of the box where there's a plate, and you put the bait in. The mouse goes in, and and the thing about they also advertise is this bo- box is covered; it's not clear, so it's kind of like this no see, no touch type of trap. So you don't see the mouse actually, and you don't touch it and, until you empty the the box. And um, uh, I, I thought, well, that that's an interesting one. There's a LED light that indicates uh, that the mouse is inside. And the Wi-Fi part is you can get this app, hook it up to your phone, and the phone will notify you when the mouse is inside and is killed. And, and not only does the app show you that, but it keeps a record of you know of the battery life, you know what the battery life, and it keeps a record of how, the number of kills. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy technology these days. And so they say, well, all I have to do is put some like peanut butter in the bait cup. Um, and then I was also reading that they ought the, ma- the mouse, it also likes sweets. It actually likes chocolate. Uh, I think it's better than cheese than what we think. Even, they say you can put fresh cooked bacon in there. They actually like fresh cooked food, not the stale stuff. So if you really want to catch the mouse, cook up some bacon or hot dogs, they even say. Funny, huh? Well, no matter what type of trap you use, we understand in these mouse traps, you use some bait, some sort of bait, and that's how you can trap the mouse. Well, you know what? Human beings, we fall into traps too. And we fall into a trap of the bait that uh, uh, goes after our fleshly desires. And tonight, as we return to our study in the book of Luke, the bait really that we find in our passage is a thirst for more, more money, uh, more things, just more. And also the bait that is there is the bait for position, a position in life, uh, uh, um, being, you know, high up in your position. And those things can trap us, and you know what, kill us spiritually. So tonight, The title of our message is The Self-Serving Trap, because all of these things are self-serving. And again, we're going to be studying Luke chapter 22 from verse 21 through 30. Now, our outline tonight for the self-serving trap is this, number one, the desire for more, as I talked about, number two, the drive for position, and number three, The divine perspective. So, we're going to see these things in our passage, but also our last heading, we're going to come to see how God sees things. What's his perspective? So, let's begin with number one in our outline the desire for more. The desire for more. And we're going to be covering verse verse 21 through 23 in this section. But first of all, let's take a look at verse 21 and 22. So, if you can grab your Bibles, pick them up, and take a look here. It says in verse 21 of Luke chapter 22, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the, on the table. For the Son of Man goes at, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So as we begin here, Jesus said this at the Passover meal. This is Thursday night. That's the setting here. This is during the Last Supper of Jesus. Remember last time we were brought into the Passover meal. We were brought into this last night of Jesus' life. It's Thursday. On Friday, by 9 a.m., he's going to be on the cross, and by 3 p.m., he he'll be dead. So this is the night before. This is the Last Supper. This is the Passover meal. And remember last time we saw Jesus turn the Passover meal into communion, Right? The the lamb that uh, that the blood of the lamb that saved them from the death angel well Jesus turned it into He's the lamb of God that saves us from our sins so the bread and the cup of communion He He totally transformed it as a memorial for Him so it was right after all that now that Jesus at this point in the writing of Luke He says but here in verse twenty one the hand of Him who is that. That's Judas, right? The hand of him who betrays me. So we already understood that. Remember, there was a plot we went over at the beginning of this chapter that Judas went in on the plot to betray Jesus. He's looking for this opportunity to bring in the chief priests and their temple police and on some Roman soldiers that they procured to all this whole group to come and arrest Jesus. But they didn't want to do it while people were around. So they're looking for this opportune time. And so... At this point now, Jesus says, Behold, the hand of him who betrays me, which is Judas, is with me on the table. Or in other words, he's sitting right here at the table. Now, understand something here. In the parallel passages about this, the Last Supper, and Judas's betrayal, and Jesus uh, even bringing it up at this Last Supper, in the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark, they actually put, this where Jesus says, "Hey, the betrayers here right here in our midst, right at the table, they put it right before uh, the cup of communion and the bread and all that, so they actually put it there. John chapter thirteen tells us how, after basically he was exposed, remember Jesus took the bread and dipped it and handed it to Judas when uh, Peter whispered to John, and John asked Jesus, "Hey, who is it?" You know, whispered to Jesus, and Jesus took the bread, dipped it, and handed Judas to point out who it was. Now they didn't fully understand this. Well, in John thirteen, it says that at that point Judas left. Yeah, like Jesus said, "Hey, go fulfill, go do, go do your do your thing." And so, to me, it seems probably more like chronologically, maybe Matthew. And Mark, all right, it's before communion. Then when Jesus dipped the bread, it was during the main meal. Remember the main meal of the roast, roasted lamb and the bread, the unleavened bread that they would eat. And they would normally, customarily dip the bread in sauces and eat that. So it, 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 it seems to me chronologically that that's what happened. It was during the main meal that he was exposed. But remember, when Luke writes His gospel, and we've seen this throughout this that he writes more thematically than chronologically. Yeah, so he—it's more like he's grouping things together, these thoughts together, and so in a way, that's why I'm grouping it together, and what we're going to see in our passage. So I believe this happened before communion. I believe that it was after the cup of plagues. And then they went into the Passover meal, of the lamb dying, and uh, the whole story of the Passover. And they, they would commemorate that by eating a roasted lamb and eating the unleavened bread. So I believe this happened at that moment of time. So, but Luke puts it here, and he's kind of bringing out this thought of the, Jesus saying, hey, the betrayer is there. He, he, he's, 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 he's here. He's at the table. The guy is going to betray me. And then he says this, as we read in verse 22, For the Son of Man, which is the Messiah, which is Jesus, goes as it has been determined. Even though Judas is betraying him to the chief priest. Remember, he probably went to get the chief priest and... He knew that after the meal that what they normally do is they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. That was their pattern. So he knew, well, that's the perfect place. No one's around, it's the middle of the night, it'll be dark, and that's the way to arrest him, to grab him without anyone around making a fuss about it. So Judas is left and, and Jesus is, yeah, the betrayers here, but, but you know what? The Messiah, the Son of Man, it has been determined. It has been predetermined. This is the plan of God that he would be betrayed. This is the plan of God that Jesus would be betrayed, and that would lead to him ending up dying on the cross for our sins the next day. So that's what Jesus means by, you know, even though there's a betrayer here, hey, all this has been predetermined by God. God knew all this that was going to happen. As a matter of fact, it was all part of his sovereign plan. So if you if you think about it from God's perspective, it was His plan. It wasn't so much Judas betraying Jesus. It wasn't the Jewish religious leaders who who, who falsely accused Jesus, brought him Pilate. It wasn't so much Pilate or the Roman soldiers that ultimately did this, but God, remember, sent Jesus to this earth to be born as a human, to grow up and then die on the cross for our sins. That was God's plan. That's what we've been talking about even throughout this time, even in this chapter, as we head to the cross. Something I I like is John MacArthur said, no one acts independent of the sovereign plan and purpose of God who overrules every human act or decision for his own ends and glory. So ultimately, this is God's sovereign power and his sovereignty. And this is God being God that even though Judas chose to betray Jesus, it was still part worked into God's plan. And that's what MacArthur is saying. But notice what Jesus says next in verse 22. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So the word woe here really talks about like a cursed, yeah, a cursed in judgment. Woe to that man that uh, by whom he is betrayed. So in other words, this guy who is betraying the Messiah, right, really there's consequences. He, he will be cursed in judgment. That's what woe basically means. So, Basically, Christ is saying, yeah, it was a predetermined plan. It was determined that Christ would die on the cross be betrayed. But you know what? Judas actually made that choice to betray Jesus Christ. So really what we see here is like this convergence of God's sovereign will, and we have man's freedom of choice coming together, intersecting at this verse here. Because, yeah, Jesus is is God's returning plan, predetermined, his determined plan for Christ to die. But at the same time, it's Judas who made the choice here. He made that choice. He made that decision to go against Christ, to betray him. So all of this is coming together. And then look at verse 23. And they, that's the disciples, began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So when Jesus mentioned, hey, there's a person at this table that's going to betray me. And so they started going, wait, what? They, they started to actually question themselves. In another gospel, they're saying, is it I, Jesus? Is it I? Is it I? And even Judas himself hypocritically looked at Jesus and said, is it I? And we see that in another gospel. So they begin to question like, Oh, is it I, you know? And then here in Luke, it actually says that they began to question one another. In other words, how can anyone do this? How can one of your followers do this? Aren't aren't we all dedicated followers of Jesus? You know, how, how can that be that any one of us would do that? Now, that shows just the fact that we read here in verse 23 of them questioning one another that no one suspected Judas, right? no one knew i mean judas wasn't like this this guy in a black cape you know and, and with horns on his head and with the evil ha. <laughs> you know no one suspected that judas would be the one he was just like everyone else judas looked like acted like he was just like the other disciples he was a, looked like with all all everything he looked like a follower of jesus now, we talked about this earlier, back earlier in the chapter, about what happened to this guy, right? What, what happened? Um, I brought up some scriptures about that in John that talked about that he really didn't believe Jesus, you know, and, and that uh, he, he, was, he was stealing money. He was skimming off the top of the offerings and tithes. And, and, and so we know things are going on with him inside. But I want to get a little bit deeper into that. Here's this guy. He's betraying Jesus here. He looks like just like one of the other disciples. No one knows yet. He's the guy. What, what was it? I mean, think about the tragedy, tragedy here, right? Here is Judas. He spent three years with Jesus, three years of his ministry. Jesus is coming at, to the end of his ministry. He spent three years 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in the presence of Jesus Christ. God come in the flesh as a human being. God speaking. He heard all the sermons. He heard all the truth. He he, he, he was, you know, it, part of the, when Jesus took the 12, only the 12, and talked to them about deeper things, you know. And gave him the word of God and insights into God's principles and what he was doing and all of that. That, that was G- Judas was part of the the twelve who heard all of that, yet he did not believe yet he ended up here betraying Jesus so what was that why why well, we touched on it before too earlier in this chapter, but the really the reason yeah was he had an ulterior motive here you know he was following Jesus, not because Jesus is the son of God and, 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 and all that. He was following Jesus because he wanted to gain from following Jesus. He wanted to gain from being part of this group. So you understand, it was the self-serving desire. Yeah, that's why he was there. It looked like he was real part of the whole thing, but you know, underneath John, uh, as I mentioned, John showed us he he didn't really believe he was taking money, yeah. So he was there for something else, and it was self serving, and that was a desire for more. I mean, just taking the money shows his greed, right? And as I mentioned, we understand that uh, most likely he, he wanted to be on the ground floor of this new. Uh, government that was coming, yeah, if Jesus is Messiah, look, I want to be part of that yeah i I could make more money here, I could get more things, yeah i 'll be up there in ground floor, you know i 'll be part of the administration, oh maybe i 'll be the treasurer and i 'll take care of all the money, yeah, right that 's my job now, yeah, so so it was all self serving for him, and that desire for more really that 's why he was there. That's why he, all these years he was there, and that's why nothing got got through yeah, to him. As he skimmed off the top of the offerings, it just showed his greed. It showed his is his, his, his seeking for more, the materialistic heart, uh, more money, the desiring for more, and, and that was really driving him. That brought him there. But when Jesus stopped serving his needs right when it seemed like there's no future for him because what jesus dying what is he doing yeah well he came he came in triumphant entry into jerusalem remember the official entrance right there he could have taken over the kingdom but he's not he's delaying what what's what's going on so when it looked like there's no future and jesus stopped serving his needs he cashed out yeah he was gone for that 30 pieces of silver. So, when Jesus brings up here in verses 21 through 23, this, this betrayer, yeah, who looked like, just like everyone else, but there was something wrong inside. What we see is the desire for more was this self-serving trap of Judas. And that became his downfall, rejection of Jesus. So the desire for more was his self-serving trap. That, he made his own trap with the self-serving, and he got caught in it. And and that was his downfall. Uh, that that I mean, think about it. Does anyone, like, name their children Judas? Yeah? Christian parents are like, well, we're going to have a baby, so let's think of some good biblical names, yeah? David, or, you know, James, or John, or... Yeah, you know we we um, I remember seeing Jared in the Bible, and you know we named our son Jared. You know, but no one says, oh, you know, Judas is a biblical name. It's in the Bible, but no one does that, right? He, because he's he's the evil one. He's the betrayer. No one's gonna do that. We we use oh, you're a Judas. We use that as synonym synonym for a betrayer, right? That's his dumb. And how did become? How did he become a betrayer? by the self-serving trap his desire for more and that made him fall and reject jesus christ but you know what isn't that how the world is conditioning us or trying to condition people right i was thinking about how crazy you know there's ads on social media and and you know what the crazy thing is it's customized to you yeah I, remember I was talking to my daughter-in-law once, and it's like, is, is, you know, like like our phones, you know, Siri's waiting for commands, or or uh, Alexa, yeah, with the Amazon Echo Dot and all that. Alexa's waiting for commands, you know. And there, were, I remember there was news reports years ago about, oh, they actually listen, and you know, but Amazon's like, oh no, we're we're actually um, kind of uh, trying to perfect Alexa, and, uh, you know, we're not li- really listening in like spying in, but. But it, it, we're talking about, oh, is, are they really listening? Because the ads on your phone seem to pop up to what you were just talking about. Yeah. Or I know, like say on Facebook, they actually keep a record, uh, keep track of your clicks or what ads you click on. Or even as you scroll through, it seems like they're, they're following what you slow down in, you know, rather than go fast and stuff. And then the ads pop up that, that are pertinent to the things that you clicked on and and uh, uh, what your interests seem to be, and so it's like this custom design thing, t- so that these products would pop up, so that you would buy it, take their service, and 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 it's really all this all it is is to target you and bait you into what getting more of what you're interested, in. you know, getting more, getting more. I mean, I, I, I mean that's it. That's the world. You got to get more. That's advertising. Yeah. It's like uh, no one's going to advertise and say, oh, well, you have enough, don't buy any more, <laughs> you know? No, you need, a, you need a new one, you need the better one, you need a new version. On and on it goes. But you see, our sinful flesh, yeah, we're, we're prone to be baited that way. Our sinful flesh gets caught up all into this. The desire for more, the desire for something else. It seems like we're never content. We're never happy because our flesh never will be. And here's Judas, yeah? The desire for more, that ended up being a self-serving trap. That was his downfall. That That's why he rejected Jesus. How about you tonight? Or maybe online, you guys. Have you been giving yourself to that part of that old sinful flesh, the old you, just constantly desiring more. Be careful! You know why? Because that kind of uh, a pursuit, yeah, giving in to your sinful flesh—it's a self-serving trap. And you know what happens? Like Judas, you know what? You become deaf to what God is saying. Remember, Judas was with Jesus all these years. Did any of anything? that Jesus said, impact his heart? I think God was reaching out to them, him all the time. Did it? No. He was blind to who well, you know, was right there. He had a hard heart toward Jesus. So be, watch out. Be careful. Because when you are constantly self-serving, you know what happens ultimately? You put God in a place to serve you. That's what happens. You may go to church, but it's so God would serve you. God, touch me. God, bless me. You got to do that, yeah? You may pray, huh? Or you may even read the Bible thinking, well, if you read the Bible, you read so much, you go to church and you do your prayers that God will give you this thing you want. And it's, it's self-serving. You put God in a place to serve you. And then what happens? Well, like Judas, when God does not do what you want, what do you do? You bail. You bail on God. And you might even do something even worse. Like look what Judas did. Yeah. He, he betrayed the Son of God. And what's so sad is, you know, Jesus chose him knowing what he was going to do. I think Jesus constantly was trying to reach out to him. And even when Jesus dipped the bread and gave it to him, yeah, that meant he was close by. Yeah, That meant... He was, he was right there in a place of honor next to Jesus. And when Jesus gave him the bread, it was, it was really a, a, an act of love, of reaching out to him. Like, Judas, don't do this. Don't do this. Yet Judas did that because of his self-serving heart, because he was trapped in this self-serving mode, because of his desire for more. And he betrayed the God who loved him. And that's what we do. So be careful to not fall into that self-serving trap. All right, so we see, number one, the desire for more. Now we go on here in our next section, well, the next verse, really, verse 24, the drive for possession, a position, the drive for position. position. And we're going to look at verse 24 here, verse 24. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, we read, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So after this, or at least as Luke puts these things together, what we see, what Luke wrote next, is the disciples got into this dispute, an argument, basically, on who of the twelve, which of them, the disciples was to be regarded as the greatest in other words who's the greatest one here who's who, who who's the one who's going to hold the highest position when jesus sets up his kingdom who when he brings in this kingdom who's it going to be it's going to be and they got into this argument about themselves you well know? no it's me i'm better than you no it's me you, you know what this isn't the first time, if you remember back in Luke chapter 9, they were going through the same thing. They're talking in the same way. And so it seems like this has been an ongoing thing in their heart. It seems uh, so insensitive too, right? To argue about this right here on the night before Jesus' death. Note, note that um, it could be, in some uh, uh, commentators and pastors, they... they and I kind of think this too, but it could be this argument came up right before Jesus washed their feet, right? Which was early in the meal. We we learn that it was a time of washing hands and it could be Jesus went and washed their feet at that time. But it could have been right before that. Luke puts it here again with this, this thematic writing, not so much chronology. So what is exposed here in this this? argument of who's the greatest is the disciples constant drive for position they're driven for to get that position to be the higher of to be at the top to be the first yeah to, to to be to be that that main guy you know what's interesting back in matthew chapter 20 john and james had their mother go to jesus and request that that they would sit on the right hand and on on the left hand. And 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 their mother was like a relative of Jesus. And so she, she asked them, Jesus, you know the boys, yeah? You know your relatives. When you come into your kingdom, hey, put them on your right, put them on your left, let them be way up there. And you know what? That was right after Jesus shared, hey I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm heading there, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna be killed, yeah. Uh, all, he, he, he was sharing that mission, what was going to happen. And right after that, James and John had their mom go up and ask Jesus. This. So, this was a constant thing this drive for position. They wanted that, that position up at the top. And how sad here in Jesus' says, last night of his life, these disciples were more concerned for their self, right? They're self seeking here. Their conversation exploded into a full show of their pride, their ambition. Rather than focusing on Jesus, they were self-seeking. Notice that if this conversation, perhaps if this conversation happened after communion, that was super insensitive too, right? Um, You know what, even though they may not have been like Jesus I mean, even though they may have not been like Judas, what we saw earlier, the rest of the disciples, they were still self-seeking here. They really cared for themselves more than what Jesus was going through. And you know what? That made them like deaf and blind. Because you wonder why they didn't get it. They didn't get everything what was happening. Why when Jesus died on the cross or when he was arrested, they, they flee, Right? And they're all confused when Jesus died and when all this time Jesus had been prepping them, prepping them, prepping them, even changing Passover into communion. You know why? Because they are in that self-serving trap. The drive for position was their self-serving trap, making the disciples insensitive and spiritually blind. That is what is going on here. What mattered was them. What mattered was their position. What mattered yeah, 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 Jesus but but how about this? Jesus right? And so that drive for position was their self-serving trap. And so they made them insensitive. They were spiritually blind to what was really going on. So we can be like that. We can be so dead set on what we want and what, what needs to happen. That, that that drives us to do crazy things, yeah. Uh, to to only see things one way, to to really bring out things that shouldn't come out. Uh, one Black Friday years ago, I read uh, I read reports like like this: two shot and wounded in Florida parking lot outside a Walmart over you know what a parking spot. Or a uh, Texas man pulled out his gun when a shopper cut in line at a Sears store. It's crazy. Yeah, What well, we do, because we got to be there. We need a position. That, and we're self-seeking in all that, all that way. So this drive for position, is it making you insensitive? Understand, it's like the disciples. You're, you're, you're doing this at the expense of Jesus' heart. That's not what he desires of us. Yeah, not at all. So watch out for the self-serving trap. Well, we've seen the desire for more, the drive for position. And now for the rest of our section from verse 25 to 30 is number three, the divine perspective. The divine perspective. Now, let's take a look at verse 25 and 26 first of all. Verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. All right, so Jesus comes in now to correct what's going on, to correct their thinking, to correct how they see things and and so he he hears this he sees all this arguing going on who's the greatest so he steps in to 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 give them really the divine perspective how does god really see things right so he comes in with this contrast first of all he says hey you know what you guys he said to them that's jesus and in verse 25 the kings of the gentiles so all the leadership the governments the kings the rulers they exercise lordship over them in other words the rulers in the world they operate like this they they're 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 uh they are like lords over their subjects that it, it's the basis of their position they assert their authority their domain over them they 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 rule in this 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 way and and they require um that's what he means here when he says in uh, verse 25, they exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Now, back then, uh, it was a title for public leaders. Caesar made the whole kingdom that uh, he required everyone in Rome to bow to him as, their be- as his benefactor, or really, his sor- the- your source of life. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who give you life. So that's what that means is benefactor. So they come saying, I'm the one, you, you got to bow to me. You got to honor me because of my position here. So Jesus is saying, you know the way the world operates? They define greatness by holding this high position. That, that's the way they define greatness. You know, years ago, uh, Trump, President Trump, back before he was president, He said, I could never have imagined that firing 67 people on national television would actually make me more popular. Why is that? Why was uh, uh, that show such a hit? Well, the article talked about because most people wanted to sit in that chair and say, you're fired too. And so they imagined that. They wanted to be that. They liked that, right? And so... Jesus is saying, yeah, this is the way the world operates, lordship. You're, you know, you're, you're in this high position. And so that's what greatness is, is you hold this high position. But Jesus says in verse 26, but not so with you guys. In other words, this is not for the way you guys become great. Not the way you disciples are supposed to operate. Well, what is it? Well, he says, "Let the greatest one among you, the greatest disciple, become as the youngest." Now, what does that mean? Are they supposed to become a little child again and all that? No. What he means is 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 the lowest. See, back then, the the young were the least honored. Yeah. So he's saying, "You want to be the greatest? Then you got to become the lowest." Yeah. You got to become what the world says is the least honor. So Jesus is saying, look, the greatest is really the one who who, who looks the lowest in the world's eyes. And then he says, the leader, if you want to have that position, if you think the greatest is the leader, the, the leader as one who serves. In other words, the one who really holds a high position, like to lead, is actually the one who's a servant, who has that heart. So here's Jesus saying, this is the divine perspective. In God's kingdom, true leaders are the servants. Yeah? True, true, the greatest ones are really the servants. D.L. Moody once said, the measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. I like that. That goes exactly with what Jesus is saying. The lowest, the, the, the servant guy. Then look at verse 27. For who is the greater one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. What is he saying? It's kind of confusing. It kind of sounds like, wait, are you flipping here? I mean, what are you saying? Well, uh, let's take a look at it. Jesus asks, basically, you know what? In the world's eyes, right? If if you come from the world perspective, he says, who's the greater one? The one who is sitting at the table, reclining. Remember, they reclined to eat their food. Who's, Who's at the table? Or the one who serves the person at the table. Who's, who's greater in the world's eyes? Well, the answer is, isn't it the one who's sitting at the table, who's reclining at the table? That, that's the way the world thinks is what is greatness. That's what he's saying. But then he says, says this. Then he says, but look what I do. And that's interesting. So he says, but I am among you as the one who serves In other words, the world may say this, but look at me. Am I sitting at the table, you know, making a guy serve me? No, I've come to serve. I've always come to serve. I'm the one who serves, so follow my example. In Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you see, Jesus is bringing in the cross again. Jesus is bringing in the mission. He's not coming to, to put himself up as bringing his kingdom as the king of the world. I mean, he's going to do that. That is for the future. And, and the disciples believing that, they're right about that. But this moment, this first coming, this time, Jesus comes to serve us by laying his life down as a sacrifice for our sins. So the divine perspective is really opposite of what the world thinks. So Jesus is like, you know what? So follow this example. Follow the example of Jesus. Think about it this way. It's not the high position that brings you honor, but it's how you serve what you do. It's not your position, but it's what you do that brings the honor. So the divine perspective is so opposite of what the world thinks. It's what Jesus has done. It's the example of Jesus. I remember um, years ago, a man came into the church for the first time. And after the service, this was way back in Mahkou School when we were over there, he came up to me and he told me... um, basically he kind of like gave me his resume how many businesses he started and uh, he, you know he, he's been on other boards and like that and so he offered his services to me he said you, you know I, I'll be on your board if you want now this is the first time he was here <laughs> you know he knew nothing about me and and that's the first thing he said so um, you know it, it, it was obvious yeah okay he wants to serve be part of the church but He wanted to serve in a high position right away. He just wanted the position. I nicely thanked him and suggested, you know what, we have a greater need. Why don't you help us set up and tear down? Because we're at Mockwell School, renting a cafeteria and all. Well, you can guess what he did with that suggestion. Nothing. Nothing. He wanted the position. See, the divine perspective is, is opposite what the world thinks, yeah? that we would gain honor and, and, and by the position. But God is saying, no, it's, it's about serving. It's about being a servant. That's really where the honor is. And so let's not un- misunderstand what serving God really means. I mean, some people want the stage. Some people want to be in a position where they can order people around in the church. But really, God wants us to be servants. And and I try to come to you guys in that way too, that as I bring you the word, I just feel like I'm I, I'm cooking a meal and you know, the word of God, and I want to present it to you so I can serve you with the word that you can partake and eat of it. And and that's that's my heart here. So God wants us to serve with a servant's heart. We gotta check our attitude. George MacDonald said, You can tell whether you are becoming a servant by how you act when people treat you like one. (laughs) I like that one. All right, verse 28 through 30. Jesus goes on and says here, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we finish up here where Jesus, uh, for me, graciously, he's saying these things. He's teaching the disciples the last night of his life, right? And he's acknowledging something to them. Even though they're in this self-serving trap, he's just trying to teach them and show them the truth about things. And he really comes out acknowledging a good thing. There's something good about them. And he's bringing it into what he's trying to tell them. And he says... You know what, you guys, you you've done a, a good thing. You are those, you disciples who have stayed with me in my trials. You you stuck with me through through all the hostility I've been through through all, all the religious leaders coming after me, through through the satanic attacks, through traveling around, hardly having anything to eat, no place really to live, but we're just trying to reach people. You've give up everything to follow me. That's what he's saying. And it hasn't been easy. I mean, meeting demons and people constantly trying to... Uh, 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 get get at you because they need you they need healing they need things right it's been hard and so basically the disciples have laid down their 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 life for jesus they they said well i jesus we're just gonna give everything for and follow you and do whatever you want and so jesus is like wow that that is awesome you know that's a good thing what you guys you've you've in a way put aside yourselves to to serve me and so he takes that much of what they've done even though they have this this drive for position but what they've done is still good and he recognizes that heart and you know what he's saying he's saying that's what honor is and you're going to be rewarded you you that that's where you're going to find your honor because then he says you know and i assign to you i'm i'm going to give to you, appoint to you, as my father's appointed me, a kingdom. You're going to be part of this new kingdom. You're right. You are going to be part of it. And that's going to be a reward. And you're going to be able to eat and drink at my table. You're going to be right there partaking in, in my life. You know, we're going to be together. Yeah, you're going to be part of this administration. Matter of fact, this new administration, you're going to sit on thrones yeah in other words seats of of government able to even judge even the 12 tribes of israel and we know in the millennium right the 12 tribes of israel as long as, as well as gentile believers we're going to be all together in the millennial kingdom and the disciples who turn to apostles will be able to be part of the rule and, and reigning in that time so it, Jesus is like, you know what? Because you had that serving heart, you're going to be honored. I will honor you. So, do you see what he's saying? God's kingdom, the divine perspective—it's opposite from the world. The world is—the world standard is, hey, the one who is in position, he's going to be honored. But Jesus said, no, it's not about the position. In God's kingdom, the lowly servant, the, God, the person who serves and sacrifices everything for me, that's going to be the honored one. So even with the disciples, he's showing them, it's not about your high position that you're going to get honored. No, it's about how you serve. What you do is going to bring the honor. And you know, that makes me think about James chapter 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Right? We're not to exalt ourselves, James talks about. No, we just humble ourselves. We just become that servant. So the last thing, the last point I want you to see is the divine perspective is how humble servants are the ones who will be honored in the kingdom those who serve those are the ones those those are the ones not oh I had this position yeah I I think pastors and leaders in the church they'll probably be in the back yeah you know who will be honored the people who serve night and day the people who pray the people who who've been faithful to pray for the church and the pastor, the ones who, who move the chairs and set up things. It's, it's not going to be the worship leader and pastors. I, I think we're, we're going to be in the back because God's going to honor those who sacrificed and, and gave everything for God's kingdom in a lowly, humble way. That's what I think. And so the divine perspective is how humble servants are the ones who will be honored in the kingdom. You know, the world honors... Those great leaders, right? We have like holidays made for presidents, right? Oh, great, you know, uh, uh, presidents and leaders, or or kings, you know, Kamehameha Day or Prince Kuhio Day, and all that. We we have that. But you know what's good is this holiday that's coming up this weekend. What's the holiday? Memorial Day, and what is that for? What? Yeah, honoring the soldiers, those who who fought yeah, and died for our country, for our freedoms, who really served right, their country. And so I think that's, that's a way to look at it. In this Memorial Day coming up, they're honored not for their position, but what they did in serving this country. And that's what God wants us to do. And that's what God will do for you. He'll it, it, honor you, not because of your position, but because... You served him, yeah? You just served him. That's what greatness really is. I want to close with this. It's a a story back in the time of George Washington when he was president. And I read this. It goes like this. It was a bleak and cold day in which George Washington stepped out of his headquarters. It was so cold, he drew on his great coat, turned up his collar, and pulled his hat down to shield his face from the cold, blowing wind. He walked down the road to where the soldiers were fortifying a camp, and no one recognized this tall, muffled, you know, man with the hat and coat. Uh, No one recognized that he was, in fact, the commander of the army. He came across a group of soldiers who were under the command of a corporal. They were building a wall of logs and the corporal, all filled with himself as being important and superior, kept barking orders. Up with it, he cried. Now, all together, push. They were trying desperately to push this final log up on top of the crest. Each time they tried, just at that last moment, the thing would fall back they were totally exhausted. They had been trying for a while. The corporal would again say, up with it. What ails you? Up with it. The men would tug again and again, and the log came crashing down. Finally, as he starts barking at them again, this corporal, at that moment, this time, Washington himself goes up to them, exerts all his strength, and helps them to push the log, and it falls into place. The exhausted men were about to thank this unknown soldier who had come to their aid. But at that point, George Washington turned to the corporal and said, Why don't you help your men with the heavy lifting when they need another hand? Well, the corporal replied, Don't you see that I'm a corporal? Washington said, Indeed. And then he opened up his coat and revealed his uniform. I'm the commander in chief. And that and Washington said, and the next time you have a log too heavy for your men to lift, send for me. That's the attitude. Yeah. And Jesus did the same. Jesus set that example to serve. And he's calling us to do the same he's calling us to be a servant and that's how you guys that's how we can escape the self-serving trap let's pray lord as we come to a close tonight we learn some deep things god and maybe some ugly things about ourselves are being revealed and lord It may not just be this desire for more or a drive for position, but there's a lot of ugly things in in us when we're self-serving, God. When we make ourselves the center of the world, of everything, that we we make it about me, not about you. God, help us, Lord. We are trapped in many ways of self-serving, Lord. God, we want what we want. We compromise your truth and principles because of what we want. Lord, we make excuses even, Lord. We make sin look good when it really isn't. It's just self-serving. We pick and choose what we follow in the Bible. And we make excuses for the things that we don't follow. Why? Because we're self-serving. But that's a trap. So help us to see that tonight, Lord, that we need to lay everything down, that we need to be real with you, true and honest, and what sin is sin, sin, what's not is not, but to deal with things that way, and especially when it comes to the issues of our heart when we serve ourselves. So Lord, we all confess to you right now those things that shouldn't be there. The the idols we have set up, God. Lord, we confess and ask for your forgiveness and we pray, Lord, that God free us from the desire for more, the drive for position for those things that come between you and I, Lord. So help us tonight, God, as we confess, forgive us, free us, Lord. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to work as we sing this last song tonight in worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.